You're listening to the Gordon Damer Show podcast on 98.7 ESPN. Welcome in, off and running on this Tuesday, February 4th. This is the Gordon Damer Show. It is 98.7 FM, ESPN New York. Oh my gosh, so much on the slate today for this Tuesday edition. We run through it all over the next 60 minutes before Golick and Wingo come your way at 6 o'clock. Hopefully you're having a good Tuesday morning. The weather actually has been pretty good. Yesterday I was actually running outside in the middle of February. My rule for exercise outside in the winter is if the temperature is higher than my age, I'll go outside. If the temperature is lower than my age, I'm staying in. But, of course, the number you know, 1-800-919-ESPN, 1-800-919-3776. On Twitter, on Instagram, at Gordon Damer, daily poll question is up for today. The rundown, eight days now until the first workout of spring training for both the Mets and Yankees. We have now 79 days to go before the NFL draft, 106 days until the NBA draft lottery, but only two until the NBA trade deadline. And on the agenda today, you have the NBA trade deadline. We will touch on that. The Knicks have played their final game before the deadline, what their approach should be, what their approach will be. You have the Mookie Betts trade front. Certainly seems like moving, from everybody you hear, moving towards making a deal with either the Dodgers. Seems like the Dodgers are the front runners right now, but the Padres are still very much part of the mix there. I saw headlines yesterday. Parents were outraged over the halftime show at the Super Bowl. That's the headline. Parents outraged over the halftime show. No, they're not. And we do have more fallout from the Super Bowl. And I guess we'll start there and certainly want to hear from you. 1-800-919-ESPN. You know, it seemed like a lot of the shows yesterday spent time not just focusing on the game and the mistakes made, but it seemed like it went into two different camps. Either A, canonizing Patrick Mahomes is not only the greatest quarterback who has ever lived, but also deciding whether or not any of us deserve to live on the same planet as him. That seemed to be the breakdown of where either A, he's the greatest quarterback who has ever lived, playing one good quarter out of four quarters in a Super Bowl, or whether or not he just, maybe he just deserves his own planet. Or maybe we should just go someplace else, right? He's already here, so maybe we should just get up and leave. The second part of it was, who is more to blame for the 49ers. And I guess that's the I rewatched the game yesterday a little bit and my takeaway, I guess it was the same as we had yesterday was I was much more focused, maybe not much more, but certainly as focused on the 49ers mistakes as the Chiefs plays that they needed to make down the stretch of that game. But it seemed like a lot of people were focusing, all right, who's more to blame? Is it Kyle Shanahan or is it Jimmy Garoppolo? As if there's only one answer, <laughs> as if you can absolve one by putting all the blame on the other. I think it's pretty clear they both had bad games. Garoppolo's weaknesses were much more pronounced because they came in a much shorter span. They came pretty much all in the fourth quarter. His fourth quarter was miserable, whereas Shanahan's were much more spaced out. You had the puzzling approach right before halftime you had the conservative play calls in the in the fourth quarter all that said 
I do think people are are missing the fact they did have a 10-point lead with about seven minutes to go in the Super Bowl. So this idea that, and I've heard it a lot of places, the 49ers, they're going to have to move on from Garoppolo. He will just never be the guy. And this is not even getting to the ridiculous extreme of some that will say, well, get rid of him and just bring in Tom Brady. Yeah, okay. Back here on planet Earth, not Earth 2, which we all going to have to move to to allow Patrick Mahomes the space to move around that he needs. It's important to keep in mind, Garoppolo was playing his first season under a head coach in, in Kyle Shanahan. You do have to keep in mind, he did help his team get to the Super Bowl. I realize that in the postseason, they did not rely on him as much as most quarterbacks would be in that spot. And there are questions about whether Garoppolo will be ever good enough to win a Super Bowl, whether or not he ever gets back to another Super Bowl. But in this season, this season, the one that just ended, he threw as many touchdown passes this season as Drew Brees. He had more touchdown passes than both Aaron Rodgers and Matt Ryan. He was fourth this season, not two years ago, not in a short sample size, over the whole year. He was fourth in completion percentage. In the NFL, fourth. So let's not get carried away. I realize he had a brutal fourth quarter. It's on him. If he can make a couple of plays, not just the big pass to Sanders, but other plays as well, maybe the story of the game is different. So that's on him. And until he gets back to that game and performs better, it's always going to be on him. And there are questions whether or not he will be able to get back there. The old line that John Madden always used, or at least he's the one that came up with it, the pain of losing in that spot is not just the loss on that day. It's the realization of all the hard work, all the things that have to go right, not just within your control, but without, outside of your control. They're going to have to go right just to get back to that same spot to see whether or not you can do it that time. So I just think people are getting a little carried away in the blowing up of the 49ers, it feels like in this day and age, like if it doesn't work in that moment, it's not only that you failed, now you don't deserve the chance to ever try it again. If you take a look at what Matt Ryan's numbers, working under Kyle Shanahan, went from year one to year two, I think that it is not inconceivable to think that Jimmy Garoppolo can improve over where he finished this year. And it also feels like now people are making it out like Patrick Mahomes being the best quarterback in the NFL was always inevitable. It was not always inevitable. He was the 10th pick in the draft, and you do have to question a lot of those teams that decided to pass on him. It certainly feels like they will regret that for the rest of their lives. Because now, but it's not like if Patrick Mahomes was drafted by the Jaguars or the Bears or the Jets or one of those other nine teams that he would have automatically been the same player that he is. He's amazing, but I think he also got drafted by the right organization to succeed. Now, we talked on Garoppolo. As for Shanahan. Bill Barnwell has his uh, usual fascinating look on uh, the Super Bowl, and he touched on, I'm not going to rehash everything from the Super Bowl, we did that yesterday, but he touched on the second and five, he touched on the first half. But the one that we touched on just briefly, and probably I should have spent more time on, 
he kind of went into a, a little bit more detail on it. The approach in the second half, when it was the first drive of the second half for San Francisco, here's from Bill Barnwell, deciding to go for the field goal there. Now, it's a 10-10 game. You want to take the lead. But did Shanahan get too conservative at that point? And I think you'd have to say yes, based on all all the decisions that he had on Sunday were from that that approach, from a very conservative approach. And you can say it's because he didn't trust he didn't trust um, his quarterback. He can all those things. That's fair. And I, I don't think that there's any approach. You know, everybody always will say you want to be aggressive. There's no approach that's right a hundred percent of the time. But I think clearly. The entire approach of being conservative the entire game, well, it clearly burned him. It clearly burned him. So this is from Bill Barnwell. Quote, Shanahan got conservative again. First drive of the second half, Shanahan got conservative again. Facing fourth and two from the Kansas City 24-yard line, 49ers coach decided to send out Robbie Gould to kick a 42-yard field goal. San Francisco offense was averaging 7.6 yards per play at the time and had yet to punt in the game. Playing against the Chiefs isn't about field position. It's about possession. The only way a team can ensure Mahomes isn't about to score is by leaving him on the bench. By the EDJ sports model, the decision to kick the field goal dropped the 49ers' win expectancy by 5%. It was clearly the wrong move at the time and only looked the worst afterwards. Yeah, that's the one that I feel like is kind of getting lost in things because the other approaches were just so, uh, so apparent right in the moment between the approach uh, before halftime and then obviously the first and uh, the first down that they got the 5 yards and then second and 5 deciding to throw the ball both times there pro football focus also touched on this basically saying that Shanahan was too conservative and it burned him and i think that that's that's the main takeaway that i had from their point of view and the pro football focus rundown was basically by keeping the score close you give the superior quarterback a far greater chance of winning the game when he is put into a must-score situation, a spot where you're going to use all four downs. And I think that that, that is what, what ended up happening. The Chiefs got into, you know, do it or walk time, and they did it. And they made the plays that they needed to. It's like the old line from from Rounders. You can't lose what you don't put in the middle of the table, but you can't win much either. Kyle Shanahan is going to have to live with now not just the Falcons Super Bowl, but this one as well. And maybe much like Andy Reid had to go through the struggles and learn those lessons before he had the right quarterback in the right spot and and was willing to risk more than maybe he felt was prudent. But Kyle Shanahan, clearly the approach that he had played into the reasons why the 49 It was simply not that the 49ers weren't good enough. Because, again, they had a 10-point lead, seven minutes to go in the Super Bowl. But I think that just the overall conservative approach is really what uh, cost San Francisco. And I it's almost feel like that that's a, a bigger point to make than than the Chiefs made the plays that were necessary, you know, that they needed to make down the stretch. The Patrick Mahomes, the third and 15, which was the biggest play of the game, clearly. And all the other throws, the, the, the pass to uh, Sammy Watkins and all the plays that they needed to make. The approach of the 49ers allowed the Chiefs to be in that spot. If they had been a little bit more aggressive, maybe the Chiefs don't have that opportunity. 1-800-919-ESPN, 1-800-919-3776. So talk about not winning much. 
That brings us to the New York Knicks. Hey, they got a winning streak. First winning streak since New Year's. Congratulations. Doesn't it feel so good? Doesn't really feel good, does it? It feels kind of meaningless. Certainly does to me. And I know that this is the Knicks' first winning streak since New Year's because it's not like it's hard to keep track of. right? It's not, it's not like, well, how many winning streaks have they had? I think they've only had three. But they beat the Cavaliers last night, 139-134 in overtime. Their final game before the NBA trade deadline. And the rumors, ooh, they're starting to bubble. Have you heard them? Have you seen the bubbles? Should they trade Marcus Morris? Julius Randle's name has popped up in some trade talks. The Knicks have some interest in D'Angelo Russell. Talk and trade with the Hornets. What should they do? What will they do? Well, that's our poll question for today. What should the Knicks approach be before the NBA trade deadline? We gave you four options. A, make a major deal. B, all vets must go. Obviously, you're not going to trade some of the younger players. Uh, in Mitchell Robinson and R.J. Barrett, but all the vets, all the guys that you signed last offseason to those one-year deals, all those guys should go. C, only make trades that are going to bring back draft picks. None of this young, none, no D'Angelo Russell or any of these established players, only draft picks for the future. Or C, Stan Pat. And I will tell you, at least so far, the most shocking thing about this is that 12% of people have watched the Knicks, well, I assume they watched the Knicks, they're saying to themselves, you know what? It's good as is. And they're saying, stand pat. That Those people walk among us. That's scary. There are 12% of people who think the Knicks are just fine as is. Whew! I put that one in there almost as a joke. It's no joke. We touched a little bit on the Super Bowl there again after the fallout yesterday between the 49ers storylines and the Chiefs storylines. But moving forward... It's just two days until the NBA trade deadline. And we have your New York Knicks. Not my New York Knicks. I'm getting ready to jump ship, I think. <laughs> Not really, but you know what I'm saying. The Knicks, they're just constantly – it feels like – and it really came to me yes, uh, on Saturday. It feels like with the way this season has gone that this season is worse Last season was terrible, but it was understandable. Once you make the trade of Christos Porzingis and make the decision to tank, even before the decision to trade Christos Porzingis, once he goes down with the injury coming into that season, it made all the sense in the world tank. Get as good a draft position as you can get. Hopefully you get the number one pick and away you go. Of course, in the middle of that, the anniversary was yesterday, they decide to trade away their best player for cap space, which didn't make sense at the time and only looks worse in hindsight. But the trade deadline's a few days away. D'Angelo uh, Russell's name is out there. Golden State looking to move him to avoid the luxury tax. Knicks are not in danger of going over the luxury tax, so it, it, you can understand a scenario there. But, of course, the Knicks are not the only team that is interested. And Russell to me, is a player that would I would have some interest in. He showed steady improvement. He's a good player, not a great player. Now, he does have a big contract, three years, $90 million left. And I guess mostly my approach to that deal would be it depends on what you have to give up. I don't know what you're going to have to give up. 
I'm a little worried that it's a deal with Golden State and that front office is a lot smarter than the Knicks front office. I can tell you right now the reports of Frank Nielakina and Bobby Portis, I'm guessing, I don't know, I'm not in the room, but I'm guessing it's going to cost you more than that. Frank Nielakina and Bobby Portis. Maybe if the Knicks can somehow figure out a way to make the Knicks on the receiving end of that deal. Like, the Knicks are usually part of deals like that, where you get a good player for two serviceable players. But the the problem is, is the Knicks are making that trade with someone else, and the Knicks are still the Knicks. That's a problem. And it really comes down to my approach for this trade deadline is is kind of viewed through the prism of everything else. And it is that I don't trust this front office in any way. The fact that anyone, anywhere, would still, as recently as last week, still be trying to defend the Knicks in any way, and this front office in any way, over the Porzingis trade, is beyond words. Trade winners and losers sometimes take time. That one is the exception. It doesn't. It was bad when they made it. It was worse after free agency. And God forbid the current regime is still in place when those draft picks come and bear fruit. So my approach is, again, filtered through that prism that this front office should not be making any major changes. They should only be left to make moves for whoever is next. The problem with that is there's really no concrete sign that that's going to happen. There's no concrete sign that the current regime of Mills and Perry are in deep trouble and are going to be fired after the season. Maybe they will be, but there's not any real rumblings that that's definitely going to happen, which you would think would be the case after the trade they made last year, the approach they took last year, and the fact that this year certainly seems worse. It seems worse because last year you had hope. As things are currently drawn up right now, what's the hope? What's the hope that anything is going to turn around anytime soon? Because right now, you have a current regime in Mary, uh, in Mills and Perry. I've, I've decided to call them Mary, apparently. They are, their approach is they are desperate to save their jobs. And the only way they can do that is to focus on the, in improving things marginally in the now. That should be the last thing on their in terms of approach. They are no place. The team is no place. The roster is no place. They should be stockpiling assets. Take back a really bad contract to get an asset. They're nowhere. And the thing that they have going for them and have always had going for them is there are no cries from the fan base that things have to turn around immediately. There's no fan base more devout, devout, devoted than the Knicks. Knick fans have been there and they, and they're still there. So you have the luxury of time, but you, that doesn't mean you should be wasting time, which is currently what they're doing. This is just running in place. And this front office is basically running a scam and trying to make people believe it's a plan. See, things are getting better. They'll probably make a deal and try to improve the roster slightly and improve the results slightly. They're looking to be at, like, I'd have to think, maximize wins, which will be, what, 25 wins this year, 26 wins? So they can say to James Dolan, look, it's not great. Things went a little, uh, didn't go according to plan, but 
We won 17 games last year. We improved by, say, 10 games this year. And we had to overcome the loss of the head coach, right? We had to get this coach out of here because he was so terrible. And look, even getting rid of the coach 20 games in, we were still able to improve by 10 games. Let's just stay the course. Let's just stick to our plan. There is no plan. And as currently designed, there is no hope. Perfect example how there is no plan. They went When they went to plan B or whatever plan it was, I don't think it was plan B, but let's say it was plan Q in the summer. They signed guys to short-term deals. Not the worst thing. The worst thing would have been to max out somebody who is not a max-out player. But the hope was that one, maybe more, would turn out to be, would be able to build some value so that you would be able to move that guy for a pick or a young player, some form of an asset for the future, because it's not about the now. You can't go from where you were last year and tanking last year, trading away your best player last year, not winning the draft lottery last year, not signing any premier free agents last year, and then think, well, it's going to turn around this quickly. So when you sign those guys, the Bobby Portises, the Marcus Morrises, Julius Randle, you were hoping that those guys would build some value, and that by, especially not Randle because he signed to more than one year, but the guys that you signed to one-year deals, that you would be able to flip them at this point and get something of value. And look at that. As amazing as it could possibly be, Marcus Morris has done that. He has played above his expectations. He's played well for a team that is going no place. He's averaging about 20 points a game, maybe 19 a game. He's got career highs in points and shooting the three. Perfect. It's gone perfectly. When you signed him, you signed him to a one-year deal. Hope he builds some value and you're able to move him for some form of a draft pick. I think it seems pretty clear that you'll be able to get a first-round pick. I don't know if it's going to be a lottery pick, but you certainly should be able to find a first-round pick for that guy. And that's what you do. You keep churning the roster. You keep building assets. So at some point, this does turn around. I would think likely when someone else comes in and is running the show. So it goes according to plan. And then... What are the reports now? Now, look, it might just be talk, but the talk is, no, we're not going to move him for an asset. He's the asset. We're looking to sign him long term. What? You had a plan. It actually worked. And now, and it was the right approach. And now you're changing the plan. Why are you doing that? Because you realize if you trade away that guy, you're not going to be able to maximize wins this year. You might not get to those 27 wins or those 25 wins or whatever whatever total you think is going to be enough to convince James Dolan that just stay the course. The ship is sinking. It's going it's like the Titanic when it was when it was pointed straight down. That's the Knicks right now. The ship is about to snap in half. Just stay the course. All is well. So now you're going to sign a guy who's 30 years old on his, what, fifth team? 
in roughly about 10 years? That's the guy we're going to build. Oh, my God. It never ends. And you hear Nick fans, well, why would anybody want to come here if we're not going to keep our own? He's not your own. You signed him last summer. This is not some guy you drafted and are taken care of. You signed him for exactly this scenario. And the scenario, against all odds, when it comes to the Knicks, the scenario has played out perfectly. And now you're going to say, you know what? No, no. We're not going to trade that guy away. Not going to get a draft pick in a year or two. When hopefully we're better than a 24-win team. No, no. We're going to keep this guy and we're going to build around him. We're going to keep this guy in place. What the hell are you thinking? Well, what they're thinking is, if we trade that guy away, it's going to be more difficult to maximize our wins. If we don't maximize our wins, it's going to look bad on us. And if it looks bad on us, we're probably going to be out of their jo- uh, out of a job. They don't have a plan. They're running a scam. And if you buy it, well, then that's on you. By at this point, you should be able to realize, you should be able to spot the scam. And that's exactly what it is. 1-800-919-ESPN, 1-800-919-3776. Coming up, your phone calls as we talk a little. Nick's the poll question up for today. So if I had a, um, if I had a, uh, a vote in the poll question, I don't. I would say I would only trade for picks. And really, I would probably trade just about anything for picks outside of a couple of the, the pieces, right? RJ, um, obviously, uh, Mitchell Robinson, Damian Dotson. Anything else, I would probably be open to trading for picks. Now, I don't, I'm doing that with the, 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 the knowledge that the people who are right here right now, they don't get to make those picks. Oh, no, 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 no. They've had enough time. They've had enough decisions to make. And it's hard to find the good decisions that they've made. Especially if they, <laughs> especially if they decide to sign Marcus Morris to a long-term deal. Oh, my goodness. Sims lines up on the right side. They've got King on the left side as a running back. Sanders is looking in. He's over a pass. He's looking for King. Intercepted. He's going to go down the right side. Lawrence down to the 20, 30, down to the 40. He might go all the way. He's going to go in. There's a flag down. But he's going the length of the football field in the end zone. There is a flag down. And Taylor's going to have to come back. It's not coming back. It's not coming back. They waved it off. Up dog. We were just discussing, Jim and I. Pass interference. 25 offense. Penalty is declined. Touchdown. So happy birthday to Lawrence Taylor. Turned 61 today. That was from 82, right? That was Thanksgiving Day, 82, against the Lions, a very famous uh, play uh, for uh, Lawrence Taylor and the Giants. And yesterday was the anniversary of the first Eli Super Bowl. We missed that because uh, we were focused on other things, current Super Bowl, obviously. But your moment of inspiration for this Tuesday morning, here's your chance to see... AEW Dynamite Wrestling on March 25th at Newark at the Prudential Center. This is the first time AEW Dynamite has been to the tri-state area, so don't miss out. Text AEW to 44202 right now for your chance to win a pair of tickets to AEW Dynamite Wrestling with world champion Chris Jericho and the Inner Circle. Tickets start at just $25 or are on sale now at Ticketmaster.com. 
All right, so we've been focused on the Knicks. 1-800-919-ESPN is the phone number. 1-800-919-3776. What should the approach be before the trade deadline? Let's get some phone calls in because I've been blabbing for the half the show already. We'll go out to our buddy John and Freehold. John, I have not heard from you in a while. What's up, man? Good morning, Gordon. How you doing? I'm good. What's going on? Gordon, you make some really, really solid points. You, you read my mind. I was thinking the same thing you were thinking as well here regarding the Knicks and the mindset. You know, this uh, Marcus Morris Sr., multi-year contract at 30 years of age, <laughs> and that he's a foundational piece. This is Tim Hardaway Jr. all over again. They're going to overpay for this guy on a multi-year deal when he's when we all know, anybody that knows the game of basketball knows, he's a very, very good player off a winning team's bench. That's, that's his niche. That's his, you know, proper place on a roster. And he's extremely valuable to a contending team. It, the Knicks couldn't have set this up any better approaching this trade deadline right now with those one-year deals that they signed. Because if they play it right, if they're smart, they can, out, without question, they can get a first-round pick for Marcus Morris they can get a first-round pick for Julius Randle, um, and they could probably get a second-round pick for Portis, and they could probably get a second-round pick for Peyton because they've all played very well. Their trade value is very high right now as we're two, year, two days away from the NBA trade deadline. You mentioned D'Angelo Russell, and also the other guy they've been talking about that's on their radar is Dennis Schroeder. Two guys that are ball-dominant point guards who are not franchise point guards that don't defend and don't set players up and enhance players' skills and put them in positions to succeed. Exactly what the Knicks do not need, okay? So I don't want any part of those guys with, with money, with underwhelming performance on, on the court. That They're not proper fits. They're not what this team needs going forward. What you got to do now is, and I, I, never, I never thought I would say this, Gordon, but this is the point in time right now. This is a critical point in this franchise's history where James Dolan has to step in and he has to say to these guys, what you're going to do is you're going to trade all these veterans that you brought in on one-year deals that have value, that have been playing well for any assets you can get in regards to draft picks. Then we're going to flush them out of the franchise at the end of the season, and we're going to do the right thing and bring, bring Sam Presti in and let Sam Presti make the draft picks and let Sam Presti make shrewd trades and, and be selective in free agency and rebuild this franchise going forward. Sam Presti has a proven record of success. He's extremely shrewd. He's extremely smart. I think he would welcome the challenge of coming to New York, and you give him some draft picks to work with, and he'll maximize those draft picks and he'll know to find those gems that are out there in the draft, also in the second round, like the Knicks have been unable to do. Yeah. That's how you build a franchise, because these two clowns that they got in place, Frick and Frack, uh, are going to bring this team but to absolute peril. Yeah. They cannot make a D'Angelo Russell trade or a Dennis Schroeder trade, nor could they... T- signed Morris to a multi-year... Uh, the, Mar- the Morris to the multi-year deal, John, and thanks for the call, is the most baffling one of the bunch, right? Like, if they traded Neil Aquina and Portis and something else to get, you know, not draft picks, but something else to get D'Angelo Russell, I wouldn't hate it. It's not... There's no deal out there that the Knicks are going to make that you're going to say, well, this is the time that's going to turn this all around, right? Like, it's it's just really rearranging the deck chairs on the Titanic. But Russell has far more value than any of those things. And I can't imagine that Neil Aquina and Portis are going to be what you give up. You're going to have to give up more than that. And that would worry me 
given the track record of this front office, allowing them to trade anything of real value for anybody. But that one I don't hate as much. The Marcus Morris, I mean, this is what you did. This It lined up perfectly. You had a plan. It came to fruition. And now... And now you're going to change the plan, which was actually one of the rare good things you've done. This is the perfect time. And hopefully it turns out maybe maybe against all odds, they'll actually do the right thing for a change. Our buddy Omar is in Brooklyn. Omar, you know, we were having dinner the other night at the Damer house. And my son out of nowhere says, where's Omar been? Fire Mills. Oh, it's not Omar. I thought this was Joseph. Omar in Brooklyn. No, this is Joseph from Brooklyn. He oh, Joseph. All right, Joseph. Well, we still don't know where Omar from Brooklyn is. All right, Joseph. What you got, buddy? Listen, I don't know how you can trust Mills. I, I didn't, They need to fire him. He's still working there, Steve Mills? Yeah, he is. Yep. I, and he's he's been in control for years. That's yeah. the common factor. We have to fire this guy. I mean, I'm, I'm willing to make a petition, a website a Facebook page, whatever, to get this guy fired. This guy got to go. Well, no, see, it seems like the approach with with, with Dolan is when you tell him you got to do this, it makes him go the other way. So maybe, I don't know, if you're going to create a website, it should be keep Steve Mills because then that will make him go the opposite direction. Yeah, it doesn't seem like that. Alerting him to a move that is... It obviously makes sense, right? Clearing out the front office. And and maybe behind the scenes, that is what is going to happen. Let's hope so. The fact that we're more than halfway through the season and we knew coming into the year this was going to be a big year for both Mills and Perry to show, hey, you know what? This plan that kind of went sideways, it wasn't our first approach. We're able to we're still able to show some improvement. And what actual improvement is not wins and losses. It's not just in the record. It's about seeing progress from the young players and saying, you know what? There are some real building blocks on this team for the future. There are some real pieces now that we're getting to see. You know, R.J. Barrett's going to be tough to print. It's his rookie year. You're going to feel okay about him. You, you hope he gets back here before too long. But it's more about Mitchell Robinson or or seeing more progress from Neil Aquina or seeing uh, something from from Damian Dotson or, or something along those lines. You haven't seen any of that. What you've seen is the Knicks are winning games because Marcus Morris has played really well and Julius Randle has a good night here or there or Alfred Payton plays well. Those guys, by the, it's all about when the Knicks are good again. Who's going to be part of it? Those guys are not going to be anywhere around. And shouldn't, I mean, it's clear. They're all veteran players who you know what they are. And if you can turn around and move them for anything of value, for the future, that's what you should do. It should almost be like what the Sixers' approach was. Maybe not to that extreme. They don't want to do that. That's what I would have done. Just keep building access and building assets and building assets until eventually you're able to turn the corner and, and be, you know, pointed in the right direction. I realize the Sixers have not won any championships and got destroyed last night. But their future is certainly a whole lot brighter right now than the Knicks are. Everybody's future is brighter than the Knicks are. Uh, you know, there's one other thing I wanted to touch on in the Super Bowl. As I said, I rewatched it yesterday. And sometimes you watch it in real time and, and certain things jump out to you. Certain things don't. The offensive pass interference on Kittle. 
At the time, I didn't really have a problem with it. He did extend the arm. But I am of the approach, and I remember this during the Vikings-Saints playoff game, right? The the play at the end there where it seemed like uh, Rudolph pushed off, or some people said that Rudolph pushed off. And that one was, to me, far more clear, and it did not get called, you know, did not get called on that one. Um, the 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 uh, pass interference. The thing about the Kittle one, I don't like the refs getting involved where they don't have to. And I thought the refs had a very good game in that allow them to play. I don't want, I don't expect perfectly officiated games all the time. And the, and the uh, I'm misspeaking. The, the that one wasn't the the one in the Saints game was not an offensive pass interference. That one was people were crying for defensive pass interference, right? Yeah, because he, he didn't well, he wasn't able to make the catch. Anywho, I don't want or expect perfectly officiated games. I want the egregious call to be called, and the the Kittle one was not an egregious call. And they they probably in hindsight I feel a little bit different. At the time I felt like you know what, just let him play and and. I didn't have a problem with the call because it did seem like he kind of pushed off a little bit. But to me, it has to be a higher level than that. It can't just be, it's kind of close. It has to be, yeah, that clearly he did that with the intention of getting clear. There's a little bit of hand fighting there, and I think that they would have been better off. And who knows how the game plays out. Maybe it doesn't play out any differently. But in hindsight, that one call, because you look at the the third and 15, Bosa certainly gets seemed to be getting held there. And I don't have a problem not calling that because, again, let the guys play and, and, and try to get the calls as right as possible with now you know, becoming too – I don't want a game where the officials are the constant focus and there's constant flags. I like the game on Sunday because there weren't that many flags. There weren't that many calls. Stay out of it to the most – I came to watch the guys play, not to make referees make calls. So that's the one that, I, in, in hindsight, watching it again yesterday, kind of felt a little bit differently. The other thing was – this focus about the halftime show. Jennifer Lopez and Shakira were too sexy. They're too sexy for the halftime show, according to parents. And this is from the uh, New York Post. Parents are getting their panties in a bunch over the Super Bowl 2020 halftime show featuring Jennifer Lopez and Shakira. Many took to social media to give their own reviews of the performance. They were just as worried about the choreography and the duo's skimpy costumes. Now, the word they used was outrage. Nobody was outraged. Nobody was outraged. I am outraged over the overuse of the word outrage. And you know how this is a news article. And you know how you know it's not actual outrage? When documenting the outrage, they go to Twitter. You could go on Twitter and find outrage about anything, about the sun in the sky, about the the water uh, coming out of your your tap, uh, the color blue. Anything you want to find outrage about, you can find it on Twitter. Quote, not appropriate for kids at a Super Bowl halftime show. Just J-Lo's outfits in general. One outraged Twitter user, Turtle Power 98 posted. You know, when your first source of documenting a story is Turtle Power 98. Not even an actual person, but Turtle Power 98. Maybe the outrage really doesn't warrant a a news article. 
Another pearl clutcher went further. Absolutely the worst, most vulgar halftime show ever. I was embarrassed for my kids and ashamed of Fox for televising it, said Jags fan 11. Again, not an actual person. It's not Steve Perry. Or, <laughs> Steve Perry's the guy from Jordan. I got Perry of Mills on my head. You know what I'm saying? It's not an action. It's not Joe Blow from down the block. It's it's Jags fan 11. And ashamed of Fox for televising it, you realize Fox is also showing adults building Legos. That's a show, a television show of adults playing with Legos. Fox is the ones who brought us the littlest groom. And you're ashamed of Fox. Fox will televise anything they think you'll watch. All of them will, right? The halftime show was nothing. And it's funny to me that this is the, the outrage. Oh, the, they're, they're both dancing around. Like, none of these people had any issue with uh, Adam Levine last year, right? Shirtless, all his tattoos. If you want to be outraged at a halftime show, go back to when it was Coldplay. That thing wanted to put you to sleep. That's an outrage. Get somebody who's got some hits and gets the people moving. They got people moving. That was fine. Now, granted, I was mostly focused on my third slice of sandwich. That's what I do during halftime. I eat more because I just can't get enough food in my fat face. All right, let's squeeze in some balls here before we get out of here. Ike is on Long Island. Ike, what's going on, my man? Hey, what's going on, Gordon? Good morning, man. What's up? Uh, yeah, listen, I was going to say before when you were talking about um, moving the players for the uh, one-year contract with the Knicks. Yeah. I think what you really need to do is take the value in Peyton, take the value in Randall, get Randall out of there. Keep Morris around so he can actually show these young players like Knox wow. and, and Robinson and Barrett how to play a full season, how to approach a game correctly, because he's obviously showing us now how to close out games. And and it was the wrong approach by thinking that Randall was a long-term thing. It was honestly, you should have looked at Morris as a long-term thing and Randall to get out of here. Neither, neither of those guys are long-term things. Neither of those guys. Those guys are role players. And there is a place for them, but no, they're, they're not building block players. And if the Knicks are going to now think that Marcus Morris, who is on his fifth team in, I think, nine seasons in the NBA, is a building block player. You know what? There are organizations, when they tell you things and it seems counterintuitive to you, you, you trust them because they have showed you through deeds they know what they're doing. There are other teams that when it seems counterintuitive, you know it's the wrong move. The Knicks are that second one. Lewis and Whippany, go, my man. How you doing, Gordon? Hey, listen, the halftime show show was fine. Uh, People being Irish have literally nothing to do. Also, the media should really be ashamed. Whoever uh, decided to um, put that out there, literally how slow is the news that you have to go to Twitter for uh, news reference? Also, if you really want to be outraged, how about when Prince was pretty much putting out a uh, huge, you know, what's out there, like shadows and, you know, things that looked very obvious. I don't remember anyone being outraged about that. I'm it sure they, I'm sure they probably though. were at the time. I'm sure they probably – people who are outraged – I mean, think about your own life. Think about how many times you're outraged, really. It doesn't happen that often. It's not. It was not that big a deal. And trust me, I, again, my focus was on other things. I was feeding my fat face. That's my first priority. But that that halftime show is nothing, um, nothing to get your panties in a bunch about, as they said uh, in the New York Post. You're absolutely right. And if your if your examples of of people getting upset are fictional people, not even real people on Twitter, 
Well, then that tells you, you know what? If this is the best I can do, it's not actually a story. All right, that's going to do it for us for today. The show flies by as it does every morning. We're back tomorrow at 5 o'clock. Please vote on the poll question. 23 hours, just a mere 23 hours until we're back at it again. We'll see you tomorrow at 5, 98.7 FM. This is the Gordon Damer Show on 98.7 ESPN.